This is an IG paid post. The news and editorial staff of the Financial Times had no role in its preparation. Hello and welcome to IG's Decoding the Markets. I'm Victoria Scholar and with me on the pod today is IG's Portfolio Manager Oliver Smith and Victor Riccardi who's an Assistant Professor of Financial Management at Goucher College in Baltimore, Maryland. Victor has also written a number of books about financial and investor behaviour and today we're here to talk about investing psychology. Victor, thanks so much for joining us. Let's start with you. From your experience, what are some of the most common investors? mistakes? I would say the uh, biases that people tend to suffer, uh, one of the most common ones is what's known as overconfidence. So overconfident uh, behavior results in uh, many people overtrading, not having patience about the investments, and many times those people do not think for the long term. Uh, another important one is people tend to be loss averse, meaning uh, a, a loss on the downside feels uh, twice as uh, painful than and making money on the upside. I mean, think about it, when you make when people make money, they tell and brag to their friends. When they lose money, they tend not to talk about their losses. And that relates to something known as the disposition effect in which we sell uh, losers or we hold on to losers too long and sell winners uh, too quickly. So I think those are a couple of very important common biases. And then other issues are, for example, like uh, cognitive processes, what's known as heuristic. Heuristics are rules of thumb, such as we anchor on certain uh, types of bad decisions versus good decisions. And that also relates to the idea of representativeness, which is the idea that we tend to draw to, we tend to make generalizations about certain things with very little information. So obviously investors want to maximise their returns, but emotions clearly getting in the way a lot of the time. So do you think it's wrong to make a decision based on emotions? And is it possible to learn to work with our emotions, but still get the most out of an investment? I would say for the individual investor, the best way is to try to make non-disciplined investments. You know, and then people who are portfolio managers, I think, would feel the same way. If uh, someone is trading money, I think traders are much a different psychological uh, personality than somebody who's really investing for the long term. So I would say for the short term, or my precise answer for people who are individual investors who are truly investing for the long term, is is to understand their biases, but create a non-emotional, disciplined strategy so they can they can reach their investment objectives over the long term. So Oliver, as a portfolio manager, can you tell us a bit about some of the behavioural biases that have cropped up in your experience? Yeah, I, I, I think one of the most important ones that most people are susceptible to is confirmation bias. And that effectively is when you seek to read news that confirms with your view on a particular market. So let's say that you're just doing something like looking to buy a flat. When you're looking to buy a flat, you will naturally gravitate towards newspaper headlines that say the market is going up and therefore you're very sensible to get in. And when you're looking to sell one, you'll be looking for confirmationary bias that says the market's going to fall. And it can be very, very difficult to get that balanced opinion. And, and, and I think really confirmation bias is, is, is you know very dangerous. And possibly the other one that people have is they place too much weight on what's happening in the short term. So if markets are going up, everyone's quite bullish. The way you fill out 
Um, your your application forms, if you want to open a managed portfolio, says you can take on more risk than maybe you should. And similarly, if the market's falling, you think the market will continue to fall, and therefore your risk tolerance will, will be much less. So those short-term market moves can have very big impacts on your long term um, asset allocations. So how difficult is it actually to control these behavioural biases? Because we are only human, you know, is it possible to get to grips with them and really, you know, invest despite these in the best ways? The, the, the answer is people are susceptible to all sorts of behavioural biases, but really the best way to do it is to be a bit more systematic in the way you, you invest. So rather than being a short term speculator on asset classes and on short term price moves, you want to be a long term investor. And we know full well that people really dislike making losses. I think it hurts about twice as much making a loss as the pleasure you get from making a gain. But if you can um, take a, a medium-term view, then short-term losses don't matter as much. So, Victor, I think that leads us into planning. You know, when it comes to managing the psychological side of investing, how critical do you think it is to stick to a formula plan? I think it's uh, very important. But also, when you're when you're thinking about structuring financial goals. We, we have a tendency, the research shows, to suffer from self-control bias. So the, the neural part of our brain uh, it's, it really makes us want to be consumers. So, for example, if you tell somebody you're, you're going to say you're going to have an annuity product, for example, that's going to give you equal payments in retirement of $2,000 each, you tell somebody income, typically the, most people, maybe 25% of people take that investment. Uh, what, what's very powerful to, to help people uh, to reach their financial goals is to frame the decision around a uh, something they're interested in or really a spending behavior. So if you tell somebody um, you're going to have $2,000 a month that will allow you to, to maybe um, take an extra uh, two cruises a year to go on vacation in retirement, those people are more likely to delay their spending today and at the same time uh, reach their financial goal in the future. So it's very important to essentially frame the discussion around making that investment uh, goal, but tie a spending piece to it and people are more likely to reach their goal as part of financial plan. Now, Oliver, I wanted to switch focus a bit now. Something else that's key to investing psychology is portfolio rebalancing. So can you just give us some insight into what it is and why it's important? Yeah, so, so the point of portfolio rebalancing is simply to strip the emotion out of making investment decisions. And what is generally seen as good practice is that on an annual basis, let's say that your medium-term or long-term asset allocation is 50-50 bonds and equities, you should be trimming those assets which which have outperformed and buying back into those assets which have underperformed. So that brings discipline to your investment process, but also it should keep your asset allocation being aligned with your risk tolerance in the, in the long run. And it really is just as simple as that. So, Victor, also I wanted to get your views on risk and how that changes from an investor's perspective as market conditions evolve. Well, I can actually tie that in with the rebalancing aspect because essentially the, the risk piece is in bubble situations, people tend to anchor on, on prices that are going up. So they, they take on more risk because they think prices are going to go up, up and up into the future. Uh, so the rebalancing actually forces people to remove money when the money when the when the when you're anchored on prices going up and putting into a safer asset versus uh, the risk of you know of a bear, of a bear market when prices are going down. Rebalancing is also very helpful because you're, people tend to anchor on, on negative returns and they're less likely to put money when they're in a, when a bad mood. 
to take on more risk. So there's a, 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 the idea with the rebalancing when the market's going down, it will force people to take money from safer assets to, to, to put money into risky assets, and they're essentially buying over, over the long term lower. So um, essentially our emotion and our mood really also impacts our, uh, you know, willing to take risk in up, up markets and down markets, a negative mood also affects our risk tolerance or our perception from wanting to take on riskier assets. And so how does that tie in with anchoring bias, where investors put too much weight on certain events? Well, as I said, with, with the anchoring, if you're anchored in a bubble situation, you're making the, the conclusion or you feel like, um, also combined with representativeness that I mentioned, people are going to draw the conclusion based on those anchoring on those current prices that prices for the next 6 to 12 to 18 months are going to continue to go up. And so the same way when the market's going down, people do the opposite situation. So that's why that rebalancing. And also I think what's also people should think about also is the notion of dollar cost averaging combined with that, uh, where you're putting in a set amount in each in your retirement account every month also helps you buy at an average price as well. Yeah, that's right. So I, I think actually, in, in a way, one of the biases that people talk about is mental accounting, which is when you deliberately set your put your assets into different pots so you have your retirement pot your holiday pot etc but it but in a way um doing that can help you make longer term asset allocation decisions which really can be quite helpful so i, I think that's an example there of where biases work both ways so just finally victor i wanted to get your sort of best piece of advice for an investor in trying to manage the psychological side of it I would say for myself, I have 95% of my money, and probably even more than that, 95 to 98% of my money in, in retirement-based uh, mutual funds, and I have about 1% to 2% of my money in, in essentially my own individual retirement account in which I hold maybe one or two individual stocks, but it only represents 1% to 2% of my overall wealth. And so I, I do have a propensity to like to trade a little bit, so what I do is I trade a very small piece of my, my wealth, but also what I've learned when I actually make money on a stock, rather than, than suffer from that overcommon be, uh, behavior, even if it's only a small amount of my overall portfolio, I take the gains and I, I, I switch the gains that I made on that trade into a mutual fund. And so I'm never letting the small amount of money that I am trading become detrimental to my overall portfolio. And that's probably the, the greatest thing I've learned since the financial crisis, even for myself. And Oliver, what about you? Well, I, I take a slightly more more racy um, outlook than, <laughs> than Victor, I'm afraid. Um, so, I, so, 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 I, so I only have about 70% of my assets in, in very sensible um, managed portfolios, such as IG Smart Portfolios, and about 30 I like to manage myself. And of course, therefore, I fall for all sorts of biases, um, but, but you know, try and mitigate them where possible. And I, and, 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 and I think actually one of the, probably the most dangerous is, is confirmation bias, which is where you keep reading information that agrees with your with your view, um, but also I think what in America is known as seersucker illusion, which is an over-reliance on expert advice. So if you combine that <laughs> with CNBC, you may be in trouble. <laughs> well, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much to both of my guests, Victor Riccardi and Oliver Smith. I'm Victoria Scholar, and make sure to tune in again next week to IG's Decoding the Markets. <laughs> Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 